the fact that everyone all of a sudden cares, that the world's now listening because of ChatGPT and Dolly. How do we help make sure that AI is one, used responsibly by marketers, but two, that we use this as a way to have larger conversations around the impact on higher education, the impact on society, whether or not my 10, nine-year-old should know how to use ChatGPT in their homework. Should I teach them that yet or not? Because in 10 years when they're in the workforce, they're gonna be using it. Like, should I just start now? Let's do this. Welcome to Hello Content by T3 Custom, the podcast that explores the forces shaping the future of content with content superstars about strategy tips, deep insights, technological breakthroughs, and even their wildest predictions. I'm your host, Kevin Lund. Let's do this. Welcome back, everybody, to Hello Content. We are talking today about artificial intelligence. It's a subject that's near and dear to our hearts. Neil Patel recently surveyed over 8,000 marketers and found that 98% are investing in artificial intelligence in 2023. I'm not sure what the other 2% are going to do, but that is a big number. A lot of attention has been drawn to generative AI tools, but that is one slice of a much bigger pie for AI. And we wanted to get to the bottom of some of the questions plaguing AI from an, both a universal standpoint as well as in the marketing industry itself. So we thought we'd go to someone deeply in the know from an outside-in point of view. So our guest today, Paul Ratzer, is the author of three books, including Marketing Artificial Intelligence and is also the founder of the Marketing AI Institute, which began in 2016 as an internal initiative for his own agency, Ready North, which he has since sold. At that time, it was an internal blog and newsletter that explored how AI might impact its own agency and its clients. The Marketing AI Institute quickly grew into an education event and media company with a community of 35,000 plus subscribers. And in 2021, the Marketing AI Institute completed a million dollar seed round in order to advance its mission of making AI approachable and actionable through three primary areas such as community, education, and technology. Let's do this. Welcome to Hello Content, Paul. How's it going, Kevin? Good to see you. It's good. So listen, Paul, I want to start by talking a little bit about you're in a unique position as kind of the first to market. What was going on in 2016 that gave you the aha moment to start that initial newsletter about how AI would be impacting your own agency and clients? Because I believe you did just start it internally for yourself. Yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit of an evolution over a number of years. The basic premise was in January of 2011 was when IBM Watson won on Jeopardy, defeated Brad Rutter and Ken Jennings. I was just starting the manuscript for my first book at that time. So my agency was five years old. We'd been HubSpot's first partner back in 07, 08. So we were pretty advanced in terms of marketing automation and marketing technology and things like that. And so I wrote the marketing agency blueprint and it was 10 rules for building a modern marketing agency. There was nothing about artificial intelligence in that book. Like it wasn't even on my radar. So then years go by, I start researching, researching more and more. My second book in 2014, we wrote a little bit about AI in it. And then that was the only thing people wanted me to talk about. So then I started traveling the world, speaking about AI. I did South by Southwest. The U.S. government had me come speak to the, the five arms of the military on recruiting using AI in 2015. Wow. So I was like, it was wild, but it was very frontier stuff. Like, to your point, like no one was talking about this in marketing and sales. So you were really leaned on as an expert in AI, not just marketing. So yeah, like 2015, we're 
people are calling me to come to these talks. And yeah, it isn't just marketing. It was, it was much beyond that because people were starting to connect the dots. And now there was a few more mainstream books that the average business person or leader might read that was creating some interest, but there still wasn't a mu that much. But 2016 rolls around. I'm still running PR 2020. And we said, you know what? This is a really fascinating space. I think this is going to become something massive, but it's probably going to take a while. Why don't we start publishing what we're learning? And so we started a blog, called it the Marketing AI Institute, put it on its own domain, but it was just underneath my agency. And me and another guy, Mike Caput, who's now my chief content officer, my co-author of the book, we just started writing blog posts. Fast forward to 2018, we had like 5,000 subscribers to the blog, the newsletter, some major venture capital firms, analyst firms, big brands. And that was the time I was like, you know, we should turn this into its own company. And then I, I launched the Institute as a separate entity in 2019 and kind of led to where we are today. That's incredible. That's, I love stories like that. There's been this hesitancy for the adoption of AI. So it said you underestimated how long it was going to take, and then you overestimated the impact. What did we get wrong? So the, the tech wasn't there yet. So in 2016, so I, I always like explain this as like, if people are familiar with the Fermi paradox. So the Fermi paradox is you can look at this vast universe, like billions of galaxies, and trillions of planets probably, and nothing. We have no intelligent life anywhere. We've never found anything other than what exists on our planet. And so that's the Fermi paradox. I felt that way about artificial intelligence. For like, for the teens, like the, you know, 16, 17, 18, you look around, you know what AI is capable of, and yet I can't find anybody doing it. So like, we're trying to talk to these brands, I'm talking to CMOs, we're talking to all these people, and like, nobody's actually doing it. And so it was like my own little Fermi paradox of like, what, where is all the AI? And so then what I realized when I was reading Genius Makers was that the major breakthrough in language technology, so what we're seeing today with ChatGPT and, and language generation and large language models, actually happened around 2018. And so in the years, the first few years when we were running the Institute, writing about what was going to be possible, the breakthrough hadn't occurred yet that allowed for what we're seeing today with image generation and language generation. That all actually happened in the last like three to four years. Once that happened, then there was a race at the major research labs to build, to like commercialize this technology. Yeah, I think it's safe to say we've hit a tipping point with AI. Yes. Once everyone could use the tools is what changed everything. So Dolly was a tipping point and ChatGPT was just opening the floodgates. Yeah, I, th I think what's been interesting, like one of the fun use cases that we've had is we can take a single piece of content and just plug it into, you know, throw it into Jasper or we'll throw it into another LLM. And, and it spits out 20 different ways of saying the same thing. So you've got 20 yeah. different audiences you can reach and you can just keep tweaking. And it's a lot easier to tweak something that was written in two seconds than it is to wait for a draft to come in a day later or even half a day later, you know, which begs the question, the ethical question that I want mm -hmm. to get to is, you know, the biggest fear is obviously we're going to someday wind up in some dystopian environment like, you know, you see out of Terminator or Wally, -E where we're just a bunch of blobs relying on the technology that is, you know, going to make us live. I don't think that's true. I just think this is like another evolution, like when, you know, automobiles at the turn of the last century replaced the horse and buggy, or when the industrial revolution came in and, you know, now we're dealing with alternative energy is replacing coal and some of the traditional methods. Um, what's your take on that? I think there's a lot of very big issues that need to be thought about that aren't being addressed yet. Certainly ethics is, is one, the, the use of the data, invasion of privacy, especially when you get into like personalization and things like that. There are societal issues, there are economic and workforce issues, there's issues about higher education, 
there are, there are a lot of massive issues. <laughs> but I mean, responsible AI is certainly at the top of that list. So even in our book, we have an entire chapter dedicated like AI for good, you know, responsible use of this stuff. I think that my biggest concern is very few people understand this stuff at all, like understand how language models work, understand how like Jasper does what it does or how OpenAI or why OpenAI is even building what they're building, like is probably the bigger thing that never gets talked about. So, you know, we as marketers are using these language models that were never built to do marketing stuff. That's not why they exist. They exist to build general intelligence. They're, they're, they're trying to solve like world level, you know, climate change and, and hunger and things like that. And language is just a way to get to it. They see language as a vehicle to create human level intelligence. They think that that what makes humans humans in part is our ability to have language, to understand, communicate. And so they think that to build general intelligence and eventually super intelligence, we actually have to we have to give these machines language. What better way than create writing tools like for it to learn? And yeah. nobody knows that stuff. Nobody cares. But like if you really want to drill into, well, how are they using our data? All the stuff I'm putting into chat GPT, all these example emails I'm giving and all this stuff I'm you know, I've seen people put a bunch of private things in there. Like you're asking it to output something and they'll just they don't think about that that thing they're putting in is actually now you know property of OpenAI. And and I'm not oh, saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's people have no clue. <laughs> and like that's my initiative. It's like we need people to understand this stuff so that they can make smart decisions around how they're going to use it, the impact it'll have on their team, their company, their customers, their stakeholders, because there's a lot of a lot of gray area right now where business leaders have no idea what they're doing. It's the stuff I've been thinking about for 10 years. And now it's like, okay, how do we use the fact that everyone all of a sudden cares, that the world's now listening because of ChatGPT and Dolly? How do we help make sure that AI is one, used responsibly by marketers, but two, that we use this as a way to have larger conversations around the impact on higher education, the impact on society, whether or not my 10, nine-year-old should know how to use ChatGPT in their homework. Should I teach them that yet or not? Because in 10 years when they're in the workforce, they're going to be using it. Like, should I just start now? I have no idea. But these are the things I want more dialogue about. I want more smart people thinking about these things. But first, we have to get them to understand what it is. You said responsible. Like, what, what is the responsible way to use AI for a marketing department going forward, knowing all the different caveats right now? I mean, everybody knows GPT is not perfect. There's hallucination. There's, there's mm -hmm. you know, omission. There's false data responses. There's all kinds of stuff that aren't being, they're potentially not being taken into account. Right. So maybe there's other reasons. What is the responsible way to use artificial intelligence right now for maybe both what you're producing as well as staffing and people's jobs? Yeah, I think the the second point you make is probably the the one that comes to mind for me first. So if I think about a company that has 50 content marketers in it, or, or five content marketers, doesn't matter. I can look at this and be like, well, I don't, I don't need half of them anymore. I'll just lay them off because it looks like, and maybe I'm going to take a week, like I'm going to do over the holidays, beginning of next year, I'm going to say like, let me see what this is really capable of doing. Let me play around with Jasper or some other writing tool for a week and see how much content I can actually create and how much time it takes me. There's a very good chance if you onboard and train yourself properly in a writing tool, you're going to find that you can 5 to 10x your output right away within the first 30 days. So then you're going to look at your plan for the year and you're going to say, okay, so if five people can produce, let's just say 50 pieces of content in a month, 
do I need 20 of them? Do I need 50 of them? No. So the first ethical question is, am I going to use AI to reduce my workforce and my, my costs, or am I going to use it as a way to create additional value for the people that seek knowledge and answers from the content we create? I'm just going to create more of it and maybe in the process, free my people up to spend more time with their families, to volunteer more in our community. Like I'm going to look at AI as a way to sort of reset the values of this company and where we're going to go as an organization and what I'm going to enable for my team. So that's like the highest level for me. So it's either a way to cut costs or it's a way to enrich the value and fulfillment your company creates. So first is that. The second is personalization is a major focus of using AI. You want to be able to predict and motivate people to take a specific action or elicit a specific behavior or emotion that you want them to. It's like the core of what we do as marketers. We're trying to get people to take an action. AI gives you an ability to do that on an entirely different level, have a much deeper understanding of an individual person, their interests, their fears, their beliefs, like all these things that you can know about them in many ways without even knowing that they're revealing it. It might be through their public Twitter shares or if their Instagram page is live or public, like you can learn a lot about someone from their public social shares, you know, analysis of their personality, else. They do this in politics. They've been doing it for like last eight years in politics. You can do this in marketing too. Like you can use this data and then you can get third party data and enrich it. And like you can do all this stuff to, to really micro target people. That is an ethical decision, in my opinion. You, ha you have the power to do this. Are you going to do it? And I think organizations, brands, content teams, they need ethical guidelines that answer that question before they are faced with it. It sounds like what you're saying is, is rather than look at reducing your staff, look at a way of leveraging your staff to produce more. So now we have, to me, I feel like the role of writers and subject matter experts, particularly in vertical areas like technology, financial health, all those areas, there's still a lot of work to be done, especially when you consider how much more content's coming down the road because the output's going to increase. But now their job is less about like the foundational level that's not very creative and not very valuable, but we're utilizing our subject matter experts at the editorial level, at that layer where they need to come in and color the content to a different personality like yours or mine or Rachel's. Is that along the lines of what you're thinking too? Yeah. I mean, what's going to happen in the next you know, 12 to 24 months, if not sooner, you're going to tune these models for specific domains and verticals. Yep. It's a brilliant type of solution that people aren't really thinking about much. I just thought of a use case. Somebody can build this. I'm not going to. Uh, so if you've used ChatGPT, you know how fast it is. So like, what if, what if someone comes to your site, like let's say you have a site about financial services, and they search in something and you don't have a blog post specifically for the thing they just searched. But what if when they hit search, it actually generates a blog post for what they just searched on your site? Yeah. So you actually like pipe in the API that can write this stuff in real time. And then as a search occurs, if you don't have an answer for it, it just generates it based on whatever training data you give it. I totally see that happen. <laughs> ah. It's wild, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I can see regulated industries like finance and health taking issue with that because oh, no they doubt. would require every piece of Huge content issues. to get. You're just like, can you imagine? You have some some article that gets generated that's just incorrect data and uh, it gets produced. Which there's lots of, which we yeah. don't really get well, into actually, yet, but like, yes, there's lots of false information. 
let me ask you something about that. Uh, so does it stand to reason if, if suddenly there's 10x the amount of output because it goes out there and generate, you know, AI goes out there and generates content based on what's already out there and the number of actual original material becomes less and less? Because right now, most of it on the internet is original content. Five years from now, we could see it easily be half. Doesn't it stand to reason that if all the problems that exist today aren't necessarily going to get go away, like incorrect content. And if it's already out there, but AI is searching the content that was incorrect and it's 50% wrong anyway, doesn't it stand a reason that it's going to continue to output bad content? Like how do we, how do we account for that? How do we fix the problem? And I don't know if there's a term for it, but if you have false data and you're writing content on that and suddenly every piece of, you know, every article that's written about that subject is incorrect because it was based on what the machines were writing in the first place. And what happens then? Doesn't it stand to reason that we still need human beings to go in there and correct that? Because we still need a layer of human written content that is accurate down the road. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you and I could figure out the answer to that, we'd be sitting somewhere in a Google office right now <laughs> getting paid five times a year what we're getting paid. Right, uh, right. Okay, fair enough. So, you know, I think there's a few levels to this. One general practice, the human always has to be in the loop. If you are a content marketer, a content strategist, a marketer in any capacity, just assume we are not talking about using AI to intelligently automate all of your work or anyone's work. You have to have a human in the loop, especially for writing that is doing deep editing and, and enhancement of. You should not think of any AI-generated content as the final product. Maybe, as you were saying, Kevin, it could get us 60 80% of the way there, maybe, but don't try and get it to 100%. Like that's what we should be doing as an industry. Now we're not, there's gonna be plenty of shortcuts taken. People are gonna pump out a bunch of you know, junky content. That then leads to the future of search, which kind of is the bigger question here and the future of corporate websites and content in general. If ChatGPT is a preview of the future and I can just ask it any question and it just writes me the answer and I don't have to click on any blue links or scan through a bunch of ads and I can just get my answer. And now that same capability lives within our virtual assistants, our you know, Surrey and Alexa that have never lived up to their potential, but maybe now they can. Right. I have no idea what the answers to those are. I've thought about it long enough to be like, damn, I'm glad I don't have to be the one to think about that right now. <laughs> Do you think we're overextended on, on the importance of search? Mm. Just in general, like just, I mean, we've been talking about SEO forever, just from a pure Google slash Bing to some degree, but do you think we're overextended and it's time for a change? People start needing to think about all the other channels and the ones that haven't been invented yet? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a good 20 years. So we have an entire generation of marketers who've probably never thought about a world without search. Um, I haven't. <laughs> I mean, I ran an yeah. agency. We, we were a content agency. We created content. People found the content. We generated leads through it. Like, I haven't sat back and said, like, wow, what if that isn't the future? Uh, I run an institute. We create content. People come to the institute for content. That's how we build an audience. Like, I, I need to be thinking about these things, but I, I haven't deeply yet. I, I want to think we have a little time. Oh, man. Well, how about we finish off with one big question? We, we try to frame this question with every one of our guests is, what is your wildest prediction for AI in the next 10 years? So the idea of AGI or, or general intelligence has been sort of a holy grail in the research community since it started in the 1950s. Like there's been this belief that we could give machines human-like abilities and human-level intelligence and beyond. It's always, when you ask the AI research community, when will it happen if it happens? It's generally like 50 to 70 years out. And normally what that equates to is the lifespan of the people they're asking. 
So normally, an AI researcher would be like, sometime in my lifetime. Like, I, I think we'll get there. I see a path to get there. In the last 12 months, the, the people within the research labs, the heads of these companies, the researchers themselves, there is certainly growing public chatter and people I talk to privately, a growing belief that there is a clear path to AGI, that, that it is a very feasible thing that we will achieve it potentially within the next decade, before the end of this decade. If we get there, everything changes. Because now you're talking about me saying something like, okay, I, I run a media company. What does the future of media look like? And how should I position my company to, to survive and thrive in that, that environment? And instantly the AI answers it for you, but like an in-depth, better than CEO, MBA level answer, because it knows everything, every paper ever written on the topic, every book, every current trend, everything. So if you think about like the limitations of the human mind, but, and, and take the best marketers in the world, put the 10 best marketers in the world in a room together, they can't compete with an infinite knowledge machine. And again, I don't have any person, I don't work on this stuff, I don't build this stuff, but the people I know who do think this is a real path that we're heading down. And so I, I do spend some time wondering, well, what does business look like when the AI can do everything? When it's a yeah. true expert on everything, I would be less surprised if it didn't happen in the next 10 years than if it did. Interesting. Interesting. Do you think that's a good thing for humanity or not such a good thing? I think it depends on who has the AGI. <laughs> I know. Um, but I think what's going to happen is like there's always been this fear that it would emerge out of somebody's basement, which is a possibility. Like it's. It, it could just emerge out of anywhere, any research lab or anybody could accidentally, you know, potentially build it. What's happening with the generative AI movement is this race to like open source and push this stuff out. So my, my fear, I, I don't know, again, I don't know if it's good or bad, is that we will get to AGI and somebody's going to open source the thing and we'll all have AGI. <laughs> like, it's not going to be this like slow burn where over 20 years we figure out how to survive and live with this like massive capability i think we're going to get there and then just like here it is kind of like chat gpd it's like all of a sudden you can just do anything you want so i don't know i i try not to think too much about it honestly like it's so out there and i just don't have the brain power for it right now <laughs> aren't these the same questions we were asking about social media let the people decide i mean i guess you just have to look at where we are in social media today we'll just let elon musk see. buy it all and then we'll just well, trust yeah. him to figure it all out <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Well, this has been a great chat. I really appreciate your insight. We really wanted to go to the source from somebody who can actually look from the outside in and isn't yeah. necessarily developing this. So, um, Paul, you've been great. How would you like our audience to get in touch with you or the AI Marketing Institute? What's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, LinkedIn is great for me. Just let me know. You know, you heard, heard me on the show. I, I always love interacting with people and connecting there. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Those are like the two main social channels I'm active on. And then marketingaiinstitute.com is the institute. There's tons of free resources there. So if you're trying to figure this stuff out, take advantage of all the free stuff. And, uh, and then if you want something to go beyond that, we've got an event and online education. But yeah, just get started. I would always tell you, like, just take the first step. Like, go, don't be afraid of it. It's going to be with us. It's going to be a part of your life. Just go figure it out. It's not that abstract once you understand how to do it. We have a free intro to AI for marketers class we teach. Just spend 30 minutes on that. Like, then figure out if you want to invest more time on it. It's, it's not that hard to understand once you get into it. And think of ways to make yourself more valuable in your company. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, you've been a busy guy. So we will let you go and we appreciate you carving out a slice of your day. I appreciate it. Let's do this. Wow, that was an interesting ending when you really think the potential impact of AI. Are we doing something that's going to save humanity or are we creating the next nuclear bomb? I don't know, but it's very exciting right now. You're going to see everybody using it in some way, shape or form. I think that for us, it's an exciting time in marketing. I think it's going to change search engine technology. I think it's going to enrich the experience of people looking for information because that's really what it's all about. I know we're in the business as marketers to sell product, but at the end of the day, we really care a lot about getting the right information to the people seeking that information at the right time. In the words of another wise person, if you want to sell me a camera, teach me how to take a great picture. Don't sell me the camera. That's what content's all about. Let's do this. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hello Content, produced by the brilliant Rachel Witzel. Our theme music is by Cake Without Candles. We'll be back for another episode next week, wherever you listen to podcasts. In the meantime, you can check us out online at t3custom.com. That's the letter T, the number three, custom.com. Thanks again. Let's do this.